0: It's Thursday, May 4th. I'm Brian Dean Wright, former CIA operations officer, and this is The Wright Report. A good day to you, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Wright Report, your daily news podcast. I've got three briefs for you this morning that are shaping America and the world. First up, we've got a lot of news that affects your pocketbook to talk about. First, the Federal Reserve raised interest rates yesterday. Second, the Labor Department says that layoffs are going up. And third, the company IBM is pausing its hiring for certain jobs because they say those jobs can be better done by artificial intelligence. We'll cover it all. Second, we've got a series of updates on what I call dirty green energy. First, Congress just overturned a Joe Biden rule on solar panels. Next, the state of New York just banned gas stoves. And third, the White House is admitting this morning that its embrace of solar, wind and lithium ion batteries is leaving us vulnerable to China. That is a big story. Third, we pivot to international affairs with an update on the Philippines. The president of that country came to America just days ago with one big ask of the White House and he got what he came for. I'll explain what it is and how it impacts you and your family. Later, we close out the podcast with an observation from a listener. Spotify, he said, slapped a warning label on Tuesday's episode. I'll tell you all about it. But first, let's get to our top story of the morning. We've got a lot of news to cover that affects your pocketbook, my friends. So let's start with this. The U.S. Federal Reserve raised interest rates by another quarter percent yesterday. That is the 10th time that the Fed has raised its benchmark interest rate over the past year or so, which is the fastest increase since the early 1980s. Although I should note that the Fed did not raise interest rates directly for you and me, my fellow consumer. As CNBC has noted, the Fed raised the rate that banks borrow and lend to each other overnight. But it eventually trickles down to you and me in the form of higher interest rates for things like car loans and home mortgage and that credit card you probably have too much debt on. Now, let's actually talk about that, uh, what the quarter percent bump means for those of us who have a little bit of credit card debt. So analysis done by the company Wallet Hub says that this uh, quarter percent increase means an additional $1.7 billion in interest payments nationally. Okay, so let's ask, why is the Fed doing this, raising these rates? Well, the hope is that these interest rate bumps will cool down the economy, which in turn will cool inflation rates, which have been bonkers lately. But if I can say that a little bit differently, well, in normal people speak, what they're doing is, frankly, giving us some pretty bitter economic medicine, perhaps in the form of a recession, all to slow that inflation rate down to about 2% annually. Okay, we should probably ask then, is it working, this pain? Well, maybe a bit. For better or for worse, I suppose. The Labor Department reported on Tuesday that layoffs actually rose by almost 2 million in March from the prior month. The increase was led by job losses in construction, leisure, hospitality, and health care. Now, those sectors had been performing pretty well as of late, They were, in fact, holding their own as we were seeing much steeper losses in the industries of tech, finance, and other white-collar jobs. So all in all, the interest rate increases are probably doing what the Fed intends it. In other words, throwing some sand in the country's economic gears and slowing things down. But the real worry this morning is that the Fed might be throwing too much sand in, right? raising rates too much or too fast. And by doing so, that could seize our economic engine into a full-blown, very nasty recession. All right, with that news, it actually allows us to leapfrog to our third piece of economic news this morning. The company IBM announced on Monday that it would pause the hiring of jobs that they believe that artificial intelligence will probably be able to replace or do in the next five years. So here's what the folks at IBM told Bloomberg News on Monday. The CEO of IBM, a fellow named Arvind Krishna, said that it didn't make sense to hire humans for jobs that, as he expects, artificial intelligence programs can do just as well, if not better. So, he says, it is smarter to pause or freeze the hiring of humans for now. Now, which jobs exactly he wants to either eliminate or freeze? It's a little bit in flux, but he noted that workers in human resources will probably be the first to go, or he will need fewer of them. The same is true of any job, he said, that has a high rate of repetition. So later, an IBM spokesman tried to put numbers to this. Uh, He said that the number of frozen positions would probably be around 7,800 jobs either that they won't hire for or won't backfill. Now, the spokesman and the CEO both said that jobs requiring more, say, creative skills or critical thinking would probably still require humans for now, probably. But they said AI programs like ChatGPT are changing so rapidly that it's pretty tough to predict the ultimate fallout of what jobs human can still do better than these programs. So, for instance, customer service jobs, they say, could ultimately be affected, too. So that is why I'm going to keep watching this issue of AI very closely, in addition to the normal economic stuff like the Fed changing interest rates, because while I don't know if the robots are coming for your job or mine, we should be watching this either way to make sure. With that, let's now move on to our second brief of the morning, and we're going to switch gears from economic issues to energy issues. Now, specifically, we are going to talk about the world's energy revolution, which, as listeners know, is the pivot away from traditional fuels like oil and gas to harvested fuels like solar and wind that we harvest out of the sky. Plus, of course, the batteries that run it all. So, depending on how this revolution goes, it could lead to, say, clear blue skies or, frankly, electricity blackouts. So the first big piece of news on the energy front is that late yesterday, the U.S. Senate passed a bill to overturn Joe Biden's executive order that has effectively allowed banned Chinese solar panels into the United States. So to refresh our memories on this issue, China controls the overwhelming majority of the world's solar panels and all of its bits and parts. So we spoke of this in in pretty good depth back on April 25th. You can definitely go back and check out that episode if you missed it. But just to remind you of how complete Beijing's control is of the supply chain for solar panels, their companies make 98% of the ingots, 97% of the wafers, and 81% of the solar cells and the modules that you see on the rooftops and the solar farms all throughout America. Well, unfortunately, much of that supply chain relies on labor in concentration camps in the Xinjiang province of northwest China. Now, normally, that would be enough to block their sale in the United States per U.S. law. But Chinese companies have been pretty sneaky. They're now shipping those panels first to places like Vietnam and Thailand, pretending that they're actually made there. And then onward to America, those fake solar panels go. Well, Mr. Biden and his allies were and are aware of that scheming, but their argument is that there is a climate emergency and we need those Chinese panels on our roofs and our solar farms. So Mr. Biden issued an executive order last June to waive off the tariffs and penalties related to those cheating panels coming out of Vietnam and Thailand. Now, those tariffs had been upwards of 254%. Well, yesterday, the U.S. Senate weighed in on this issue and on a bipartisan basis, a vote of 56 to 41, senators said that Mr. Biden was wrong to waive those tariffs and that they should be restored. So for what it's worth, the U.S. House had said exactly the same. They voted on this same measure previously, and it passed there on a bipartisan basis too. Well, what comes next? Unfortunately for supporters of the bill, Mr. Biden has promised to veto the resolution, and it looks like Congress doesn't have the votes to override his veto. So for the next, well, at least 14 months, it means that virtually every solar panel that you see installed in the United States will be made in China. And they were constructed using labor from concentration camp victims. And I'll tell you, that is why I so often refer to this industry for solar, wind, lithium ion batteries, not as green or clean or renewable energy, but rather dirty green energy, which by the way, takes us to our second update this morning on this, well, surprisingly dirty energy revolution. The state of New York has just become the first state in the union to ban natural gas stoves and furnaces. So here are the details as reported by Reuters news service and CNN late Tuesday night, the New York state assembly and Senate passed a state budget that included this provision. If you are going to build a new building, like say a single family home, you are not allowed to install gas powered stoves, furnaces, or propane heating. Instead, you have to install all electric heating and cooking appliances. So this law will be effective starting in the year 2026 or 2029, depending on the height or size of the building. So there are some exceptions for now to this new rule. Those exceptions include large commercial buildings and industrial buildings, hospitals too. And it appears for now, those of you who have existing buildings and homes with natural gas, well, you can keep that gas for now. So we should probably ask, why is New York state doing this? Well, as noted by the governor's office, the goal is to reduce the state's use of natural gas and to limit the demand of, frankly, an industry that the governor says produces a climate-destroying product. So here's a quote that I think sums it up quite nicely by a member of the assembly. Quote, This rule will help make sure that we are on track to meet our climate goals while also investing in a greener New York, end quote. Okay, so if this issue of taking people's gas stoves away from them sounds a bit familiar, yeah, it should. So back in early February, there was a debate about whether this idea of of seizing gas stoves would catch fire nationally, no pun intended. And it was all because a member of the Biden administration said that they were exploring rules to ban gas stoves nationally. Now, the Biden official later backtracked, but many Republicans and independents expressed some pretty shocking outrage and anger at this idea. Well, as you might recall, in response to that outrage, New York's senior Senator Governor Chuck Schumer actually made fun of these outraged people. So here's what he said on February 3rd, quote, you have to laugh at the gas stove ban narrative being cooked up by the MAGA GOP, end quote. He later added that, quote, nobody is taking away your gas stove, end quote. Well, a couple months later, he was wrong, In fact, they are taking away gas stoves, at least in his New York state, as long as you're talking about building a new house. And speaking of being wrong on the issue of energy, although I'm not sure Chuck Schumer would admit to that, but regardless, the White House admitted yesterday to something pretty close to being wrong. The senior White House advisor for clean energy innovation and implementation, a fellow named John Podesta said that Mr. Biden's embrace of solar and wind and lithium-ion batteries has made America more vulnerable to China. In fact, so vulnerable that we're now in a similar position to Ukraine and Europe when Russia started shutting out the natural gas pipelines just before the war. And that's a pretty shocking admission. So let me tell you now the exact quote. the White House official made yesterday at a conference in Maryland called the Select USA Summit. Quote, quite frankly, we are now in a vulnerable position, end quote, explaining that China has a, quote, lock on the refining of critical minerals like copper, nickel, lithium and cobalt that we need for the energy revolution. The White House official then compared America's dependence on China for these minerals to Europe's dependence on Russia for natural gas. So as he said, China, quote, is a country that has the potential to use its lock on supply chains to hold politically hostage decisions by other governments, end quote, like ours. Okay. so with that, let me now leave behind the facts and data regarding these energy briefs and share with you my analysis and opinion, namely and specifically about this admission of vulnerability to China coming from the White House this morning. And I will tell you, this analysis that you're about to hear might have a little bit of extra, well, spice on the fastball because I am viewing this through the lens of a CIA officer. And this vulnerability business is pretty frightening to me. So let me just start with a repeat of the quote from the White House this morning. Quite frankly, we are now in a vulnerable position with China. Yes, that is correct, right? This embrace of solar and wind energy that we are harvesting from the sky, along with the mining and refining and manufacturing of the batteries that power this industry, well, all of that has left us vulnerable. And there are three reasons for that. First, we are vulnerable because the sun doesn't always shine and the wind doesn't always blow, right? And that vulnerability can lead to rolling blackouts, amongst other things, as confirmed by the North American Electric Reliability Corporation that I shared with you on a previous brief. All right. Second, we are a decade or more away from building out the transmission lines and substations to carry the electricity from solar and wind farms to users in cities and the countryside alike. And incredibly, despite not having that infrastructure, we are choosing to retire our coal and natural gas plants. So yes, we are leaving ourselves vulnerable, if you would say like your factories and farms and fridges to run all the time. Third, as the White House is now admitting, our country's economic and political futures, well, are now vulnerable in the same way that Europe and Ukraine were vulnerable to Russia. All because the supply chain for this dirty green energy revolution is largely in the hands of our greatest enemy, China. And that enemy just once again is a country that the Pentagon and the CIA and the FBI all say will likely invade Taiwan as soon as the year 2027. And here's the key, folks. All of this vulnerability, it's all a choice. The White House is choosing this path of vulnerability. Because keep in mind, we could choose to first develop the mines and the refineries, uh, the battery factories, the solar supply chain, the, the transmission lines, the substations, all of it. We could develop all of that first and then transition over to the green energy. Now, we could choose to do that, but we don't. The White House is admitting that because of that choice, we are choosing to be vulnerable to China, our greatest enemy. And I want us to think about that a lot. In fact, I want us to think about that using a little bit of a historical lens. It would be as though President Bush chose to make us vulnerable to Al-Qaeda. Or President Reagan chose to make us vulnerable to the Soviets. Or President Roosevelt choosing to make us vulnerable to Nazi Germany. And it just doesn't make any sense. As a former CIA officer who has spent his life focused on national security, none of what the White House is doing makes sense, right? You do not make your country more vulnerable to your greatest adversary on purpose. Now, to be fair, perhaps someone might say, all right, come on, Brian, the climate emergency requires us to do this. We can't wait. To which I would say, remember this. China emits more carbon dioxide into the air each year than all other developed nations combined. That is a fact. And here's another fact. They're adding more coal capacity so far this year than in all of last year, which was a record in and of itself. So given that, let's now summarize what we know, right? America is choosing to make itself more vulnerable to our greatest enemy, by giving them power over our ability to create power, all predicated on the idea that we have a climate crisis. But it is a crisis that our enemy is largely driving and making worse. Folks, China is playing us. And I say that as a former CIA officer who has seen this over and over and over again for over 20 years. Right. I have seen it from the clandestine halls of the CIA to the marbled halls of Congress. In fact, after the break, I think you are going to see another case of something that I suspect might leave you scratching your head. Right. It's about a promise made by the White House this week to defend the Philippines in case of a future war with China. And yet, as the White House is admitting, we are uniquely vulnerable to China which will make it very hard to defend the Philippines should a war ever come. But, all right, I'm getting my ahead of myself. <laughs> Let's take a quick break. So enjoy this ad-free moment, and we will be right back. Welcome back to The Right Report. Let's continue with our briefs this morning with a pivot towards international news. And we start with an update on the Philippines. It's related to the briefs that I gave you on April 28th which you should definitely listen to once we are done today, if you haven't already. But to refresh our memories, the president of the Philippines came to the United States over the weekend with the goal of binding his nation closer to ours, and specifically our military. And that's because over the past 10 years or so, the Philippines, countries like Vietnam, China, plus others in the region, have all contested the waters known as the South China Sea. Now, This contest, as it were, there have been some pretty close, let's call them near misses between, say, the Chinese naval vessels, almost striking the Philippine naval vessels. And that has left this president of the Philippines, well, pretty nervous and looking for some protection from the Chinese Navy and the Chinese government more generally, all in case one of those accidents turns more aggressive. Well, President of the Philippines, Ferdinand Marcos Jr. was looking for a promise that the United States military will come to his aid. And that's, in fact, what he was looking for from the White House earlier this week. And guess what? He got it. On Monday, the White House released a statement saying that any attack on Philippine armed forces or vessels would trigger an automatic response by America's military. The White House said, quote, we reaffirm the United States' ironclad alliance commitments to the Philippines, end quote, citing a mutual defense treaty that the nations share from the year 1951. Well, then yesterday, President Marcos of the Philippines went to the Pentagon, uh, this time to meet with the U.S. Defense Chief Lloyd Austin. And after working together, they released some general guidelines on how different U.S. agencies and departments would respond in if there were outside aggression against the Philippines. So the guidelines called for, quote, a whole of U.S. government approach to coordinate actions in the event of an anticipated or emergent crisis or contingency, which just to translate that D.C. speak for you, it means that the United States will be there to defend the Philippines if China attacks. And I must say, that is a distinct possibility. As I shared with you on April 28th, the United States is establishing multiple military bases and outposts on several Philippine islands, all to prepare for the likelihood of war with China if Beijing either attacks Manila or chooses to invade Taiwan, which is just a couple hundred miles away from several of these new U.S. military bases in the Philippines. All right, my friends, with that, let me offer you my final piece of opinion and analysis this morning. So as I noted uh, before the break, I think that this is yet another case of some pretty deeply confused policies at the White House. Because on one hand, as the White House is now acknowledging, we are making ourselves more vulnerable to China. And yet on the other, we are making promises to defend a country from attack from China to include building out military bases and outposts. And it's not just the Philippines that we're making this promise to. We've made similar promises to, say, Japan and South Korea and others. But look, rather than belabor the point, let me just leave it here, right? And let me also just emphasize that good, smart people can disagree on this. And if you do, great. Let me know, All right, Go to briandeanwright.com, fill out that contact page, and let me know what you think because I'm likely going to have an upcoming episode called right is wrong. And it'll be all about comments that you give me that, well, I'm wrong completely or partially about my analysis and opinion. And I'll share that with listeners and respond. Maybe I'll offer up an apology, a clarification, or who knows, a full throated defense of my position, but no matter what, we are going to have a great time offering up different thoughts and reflections, and we're going to learn a lot through it. So send me an email, and I look forward to reading them, frankly, on this subject or any other. With that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude this morning's episode of The Right Report. But I've got one more thing before I let you go, so enjoy this next break, which will be ad-free for now, and we will be right back. Welcome back to The Right Report with one more thing before I let you go. I got an email from Doug V. from somewhere in America. So he flagged for me something on Spotify. He noted that for Tuesday's episode, which was entitled, Were the Vaccine Mandates Ever Necessary? Well, Spotify flagged that with a blue banner that read, Learn More About COVID-19. The banner was there as though the episode were full of disinformation or misinformation. So I clicked on it. And the blue banner took me to three podcasts, right? The first was an episode from NPR or National Public Radio, which if you are unaware, that organization has been labeled uh, by fact-checking groups like All Size and Factual as left-leaning. Okay. The second COVID podcast that I was sent to by Spotify, all right, I was sent to Vox Media, or that's V-O-X Media, which... Organizations like All Sides and other fact-checking groups labeled not just as a a leftist-leaning media outlet, but a far-left-leaning media outlet. And the third podcast that I was offered, well, looks like it's a company that offers reflections from various doctors and specialists. Now, what's certainly true is that I am not a doctor, but neither are the folks at NPR or Vox Media. Now, they did cite doctors in their coverage, and so did I. And if you listen to Tuesday's episode, I covered nothing that was controversial. I noted that obesity was and remains the greatest risk factor for hospitalization and death from COVID. And data show that that's true. I also noted studies from the CDC and the Lancet Journal of Medicine that found that natural immunity from previous COVID infection was just as good, if not better, than COVID vaccines. And again, data show that that is true. Lastly, I quoted Dr. Tony Fauci, saying that cloth masks work at only about 10% of the time, at the margins. And data show that, well, Fauci is probably right, maybe. And yet, here we are, with Spotify sending you and I to podcasts with episodes that, by the way, are from last September and October. But they're from fact-checkers who are confirmed to be leftist news organizations. So, look, all I'm going to say is this. If you thought that the powers that be have learned anything from the mistakes of the pandemic, I am sorry to say that you are wrong. They have learned nothing. They concede nothing. And they will do it all again in the same way if given the chance, right? Labeling people like me as unacceptable voices because I allegedly hold unacceptable views, whether that be political or otherwise. Which, ironically enough, was the point of Tuesday's episode of The Right Report, right? I noted that, yes, we are all fatigued about talking about COVID, but it is critical to remember, folks, that there is no finish line on learning lessons from the COVID pandemic. We've got to keep talking about what we would have learned and what we would do differently the next time around, and then hold our policymakers and public health experts to account if they made mistakes when reason or science said that they shouldn't have made those mistakes. Because otherwise, folks, if we don't do this, then what that blue banner from Spotify tells me is that there is an ecosystem standing at the ready to do it all over again, whether that be shared imperfect or inaccurate science or silence the voices of those of us who try to talk about truth. But that's all right, because I'm going to keep at it. Because I am stubborn, and more importantly, I believe in the Bible verse that I use to close out this show every day. Right, Those words are my true north. Right, They are what I embraced at the CIA, and they are what I embrace as I serve you as a podcast host. And those words, that Bible verse, my friends, is this. It's the creed of every good spy and every wise American. They're the words from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Good day.